Episode 129, Integrating Pharmacists into Medical Homes, with a sidebar explaining blockchain and proving, once and for all, that I am completely unable to follow a discussion guide, and also that my guest today, Troy Trigstad, is very accommodating. (laughs) Troy is the VP of Pharmacy Programs for Community Care of North Carolina, otherwise known as CCNC. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today I'm talking with Troy Trigstad, VP of Pharmacy Programs for Community Care of North Carolina, or CCNC. Troy and his team over at CCNC framed out the first pharmacy network integrating community pharmacists into medical homes. Currently, Troy's CCNC team is piloting what looks like it's going to be a very successful effort to electronically deliver care plans from providers to pharmacists. Just for context, there's energy and power behind this movement to empower and enable pharmacists to support patient care. To date, 34 pharmacy networks across the country have sprung up since North Carolina's foray. If you'd like to hear Troy's views on stagnant pharmacy business models, you should check out episode 84 from March 2016, which was my first interview with Troy. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Troy. Thanks, Stacy. It's great to be here. Is this pharmacy home CMIS system that you built, that's the system that you're using for the North Carolina patient-centered medical home. So basically, you created a patient-centered medical home that includes, obviously, all different types of providers, pharmacists, you know, everybody in that care continuum. I mean, is is the CMIS system that you guys created, is that kind of a hub? It would be gratuitous to call it or a hub in the sense of an HIE. Really what it is, it ends up being a repository for all these care management activities for many, many tens of thousands of lives. The trick of this whole health reform, payment reform thing is how is it that we get dispensing-oriented systems, encounter medical encounter-type systems, home health-type systems, and care management-type systems to actually interact with each other. That's the whole trick here, right? And how do you do that, Troy? Did you figure that out? For pharmacy, the, the two really important factors that were at play here were, one, not telling the rest of the world, hey, you have to adopt the pharmacy standard. If we in pharmacy are going to work with medical professionals and other professionals, we have to adopt their standard and then accommodate what their standard looks like. So that was the first thing that was really, really important. The second thing that was really important, we have to give them a business reason to do it. This isn't necessarily complex technology. It's just that there hasn't been a business model around providing these clinical activities. There's three categories, roughly, of activities that are beneficial to provide when it comes to coordination in a pharmacy. There's zero to 90 second types of activities. So they're little things like, hey, have you been able to get a hold of your care manager? I've got a little note here that says that they're trying to get a hold of you. Hey, it looks like you're new to this inhaled corticosteroid therapy. I'm going to go ahead and work with you and make sure that you know how to use it. Even that little piece of information, this is new to you, isn't necessarily in the existing systems that are focused on throughput. Then there is these 90 to second to 10 minute types of interactions where, wow, I need to drill down a little bit more at this patient that's in front of me. 
And then there is these 10-minute plus activities. And interestingly enough, in the pharmacy, when you're thinking about the advantage of pharmacies is that they're highly accessible. I mean, you can walk out in your neighborhood and go see a healthcare provider almost on the spot if you walk around and find the next three pharmacies in your neighborhood. If you want to, you can talk to a a well-trained healthcare provider. That's the advantage, but it's also the challenge when you're trying to spend more time with a patient and work with them, right? So it's blending of those two things that's the promise for these enhanced services pharmacies. And if you're 10 minutes or more, it's really you need to schedule that patient in an appointment-based model because you need to get them away from or get them out of this line that's there and this accessibility vehicle that's in the front of of the counter. But for the zero to 90 seconds and the 90 seconds to 10 minutes, you can weave those successfully into the natural workflow, but you have to have that information right at your fingertips. And so those activities, zero to 90 seconds, 90 seconds to 10 minutes, 10 minutes and greater that I just talked about, sometimes the zero to 90 seconds makes sense within the existing business model. You're really doing sort of dispensing plus, providing you know good care when you're out there. You're trying to counsel when it's needed. But none of that ever gets reimbursed. And then the activities that, that go beyond that, 90 seconds to 10 minutes and, and the 10 minutes and beyond, and some in this project are spending an hour, two hours with patients that are really complex in this project. We're trying to, to figure out how to pay pharmacies differently to take care of patients. Those business models haven't existed prior. But now as those models start to emerge, you're creating a business reason or a business reason is emerging in order to to say, wait, it's going to be very difficult for you to care for this patient if you don't know what their patient goals are, if you don't know what other meds they're taking or that have been prescribed that aren't in your chart, what they're actually doing at home, what the previous drug therapy problem findings are from other care team members. So now there's a business need to actually bring that information in and then also share your findings that hasn't existed prior. Effectively, what's happening is provider on the one side is typing information into their EMR system that's hooked up to your pharmacy home, the CMIS system that you have created so that the pharmacist has access to that information. They log in and then they can see all of the notes and information that's going to be relevant to them. I'm going to give you a multiple choice kind of choose your own question here. Okay. Fair Um, enough. Because on one side, you said it was really important to sort of pick through the information and make sure that you're providing relevant only information to the pharmacist. I mean, you don't want to be drinking from a fire hose, especially if you've got screaming babies and sick people in line. So you have to cull through the information. Then I also, I heard a rumor that the other thing that's coming into the pharmacist is the ability for a, a provider to actually send a care plan. So how do you want to, you tell me how you want to kind of tackle that or, or whether it's two questions or kind of two sides of one question. I do think it's two sides of the same question. So there's lots of different types of documents and strategies for sharing information. The reason we focused on the care plan was that what we found was most valuable for these community pharmacy enhanced service providers to contribute to the rest of the care team was this ability to continue to coach and monitor this patient and organize their chaotic med use over time. So so if you remember from the previous podcast, we talked about the, the average chronically ill Medicare recipient with multiple chronic illnesses sees 13 different prescribers in one year. They fill 50 unique medications in that year, and they're 100 times more likely to have a preventable hospitalization. So if you're in a shared savings model, MIPS, the ability to have 
a pharmacy out there that's sort of watching after all the prescribing that's going on, watching after is the patient taking these medications, what sort of barriers do they have, transportation, social determinants, et cetera, et cetera. We sort of came to the realization pretty quickly in the project that really the biggest value proposition of the rest of the care team in the system is this community pharmacy care management type of component. Because it really fit this care management model that CCNC is responsible for providing in these wraparound supports, it made all the sense in the world to choose the care plan as the vehicle by which they can express value to the rest of the care team and that, that having patient goals and, and having patient care plans sent to the pharmacy so that they can reinforce those plans so that they can have the context of what's being tried to be accomplished with these medications and their use is the key thing. So don't give me everything. I had a very wise physician tell me once, there's a moniker that all physicians go through in residency training. Don't tell me what you know. Tell me what I need to know. And we made the decision that the the care plan was the thing that the pharmacists and the pharmacies out there needed to know the most and the thing that they needed to share back with the care team the most. Well, I can see because that's what's actionable. Yes. I'll give you a good example. Joe Moose is a dear friend of mine. He's a, he's a, he's a fourth generation pharmacist, if you can believe that, in a small business in, in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. And he said, you know, there's a big difference between a prescription that comes to me and says metformin, which is for diabetes, uh, metformin, BID, 500 milligrams. So 500 milligrams twice a day. And the next 100 patients could walk in here with a prescription for metformin, BID, 500 milligrams. And I'm going to give them some kind of generic message about here's your medication, here's what it's used for. Right? You don't know what the patient's goals are. You don't know what the intentions are. You don't know what else is going on with that patient. If that prescription comes in and it says, hey, this patient's just starting metformin. They're starting their diabetes journey. Their hemoglobin A1C is 10.3, which is really, really high. And I'd like for you to work with them. Now you've actually got context around that prescription, right? What am I trying to accomplish with the patient? They're new to this. They're, they're really poorly managed, so I need to think about titrating and think about getting them back in to, to see what those next results are down the road. And I'm, I'm starting a, essentially a care coordination or care journey with them. Those simple data points coming, which are actionable pieces of information to help that patient, are exactly what we're talking about. You nailed it. Is the example that you just gave an example, typical example of a, what a common care plan looks like? Is it basically something... I don't want to say as simple as, but maybe as short as <laughs> this patient sure. is, is new to diabetes and, you know, they're kicking off their journey with some metformin. So help them, you know, have a pleasant Exactly. Ride. Don't give me a 150 page CCD. What is the, the, the core care plan? What are the three things we need to accomplish most with this patient? And the provider is typing that in. So, you know, when the patient's in the provider office and the provider's writing the ERX, there's another screen or something that pops up in their EMR system that's like, okay, give the care plan for the pharmacist so the pharmacist can help you out here. And that's where that gets entered? Or, or how does that work? Yeah, you could do it that way. But that's the beauty of the HL7 concept and the standards concept is that it knows no licensure, professional, or architectural boundaries. That's the whole point of it. So I could be in a medical system and it, let's say I need five different fields for the care plan. Those five different fields may come from five completely different pages in the EMR and three completely different pages and constructs in the pharmacy management system and five different places and completely different constructs of how that data gets there in a care management system. Those systems are built for the business models and the settings of care that they're in. But it's the data elements and taking those relevant data elements and sharing them with the other system 
Now I can take those five elements from five different places and insert them in five the relevant places of the, of the entity that I'm sharing with, even if they come from a different setting of care or a different architectural component within their IT system. It's not like the physician at the moment of prescribing is thinking to themselves, hmm, I need to write a note to the pharmacist. It's basically they're writing a note and the pharmacist happens to get it if it's relevant. Yeah. And frankly, I know there's a demand for this type of transaction out there because one of the more popular things that we've seen as we have built this community pharmacy enhanced services network that really pairs with primary care and the care management is that there is, once they start these collaborative working relationships, they say, well, gee whiz, what is the most efficient way for me to give you my intentions? And in the absence of a care plan, what they're doing is they're putting it in instructions for use, which is the place in the prescription and the e-prescribing system, which is uh, in Latin terms, it was SIG, if you see the old way of doing it, but this instructions for use field is the biggest field that you put in and you say, okay, I want them to take it once in the morning and once at night. And what they're starting to do is annotate in there. Oh, their last team globe in A1C was 10.3. So they're actually taking a construct that was never meant for that purpose and trying to put little notes in there. Well, that field is not designed for communicating a care plan. So part of the challenge here is how do you now collect that in the various pieces and the various workflows within the, the EMR how do you do that in the various pieces and workflows within the pharmacy? And how do you do that in the various pieces and workflows within the care management systems? The good news is, is that the, the care management systems all have care plans. And a lot of the patients that can benefit the most from these types of services in the pharmacy get care management of some sort. You're starting to see now patient goals, coordination types of fields start to pop up within these native systems of record. So it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg. But for care management systems in particular, the ability to share those with pharmacies is the best first place to start. And that's, frankly, where we're starting it. Uh, so for these pharmacies that are involved in this project, they'll be sending us their care plan. And we're actually going to use it for three purposes. One, sharing information. Two, quality assurance, because it's a great way to figure out whether or not the pharmacies are doing good care coordination. And then three, uh, through that process, then payment. So it becomes uh, a requirement for payment. It becomes a requirement for payment that the pharmacist is responding to the care plans that are in the system from providers. So, you know, provider types in metformin, first script, help them out. And then the pharmacist has to respond with their own sort of care plan, how they're going to take it from here. Sure. So baby steps to start with. The, the first step is is getting the pharmacy management system and clinical documentation system world of pharmacy to adopt the ability to receive and, and send care plans. The next step is to demonstrate a model where, yeah, I as a medical home model and I as a payer want to receive these care plans because we think they're valuable to share with particular care management structures. Uh, and then the, the last mile ends up becoming what are the missing data elements within the physician's EMR that do make sense to, to transmit? And the key thing to understand here is that you're not building those data elements in the EMR to specifically submit to a pharmacy. It's not about the medical record pharmacy linkage. It's about the medical record's ability to ship that care plan, which is part of the meaningful use pathway. All we're doing is really at the end of the day with this project is bringing community pharmacy, which has been marooned off in a different financing system and a different set of IT, and bringing them into the rest of the system. So to say that EMRs are going to build this out so that they can communicate with pharmacies is not the case, actually. EMRs are building this out because of MACR, because of MIPS, because of CCM coding, and so on and so forth. 
what we're trying to do is uh, catalyze the business model and, and, and get the pharmacy industry to adopt a standard so it can be included in all of those efforts. Got it. And all of the meaningful use certified EHR systems have a continuous care document, a CCD. So I'm assuming that what you're doing is picking up the CCD and making that available. Right. We're focused on the CCD, the care plan, which is another part of that HL7 effort, and then the new effort, which is FHIR, F-H-I-R, which really gives the ability to very flexibly interact with these EMRs. So those are all sort of technological terms, but the latest, greatest way to try to solve for uh, interoperability. Although everybody's about blockchain now. Yeah. It's quite the thing. It, it's, it's, it's amazing how uh, a single word can create such buzz. It does sound uh, and, and cool, I had somebody, you got to admit it. It does sound cool. <laughs> I, I had somebody explain it to me the other day. And, and honestly, and not to you know, get off topic here, but, but it really resonated with me. I mean, one of the activities that I spend a lot of time uh, over the last 15 years, uh, I'm responsible for pharmacy programs at CCNC, but I have an informatics background as well and, and, and found myself in a lot of scenarios where I was contributing to teams around informatics writ large. And the amount of time you spend on privacy and security, oftentimes the biggest barrier is not the technology. It, sometimes it's very easy to create the technology that says, oh, wow, that would work really well to message a patient. Or that would work really, really well just to have this widget or that widget, and you can do uh, um, a codeathon, and somebody can build an application within a day. The hard part is all of the legal agreements and the security and all those types of policies around it. That's where all of the expense is. So I think one of the reasons that blockchain has is, is become you know, sort of the last great hope, actually, and, and maybe it works and maybe it peters out, but the reason folks are latching onto it that, that have experience in this area is its ability to remove all these costs and project slowdown barriers that have existed in the past around security and privacy. So I think that's the reason why people keep talking about it so much. And I would also highly be in agreement with you. Can you just explain how somebody explained it to you, blockchain, just in case somebody hasn't? Uh... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you're putting me on the spot for sure. But but just but, the short version. Yeah, I, I know you're, this is not yeah, your... Yeah. So there's kind of two ways to approach security. Way number one is that you create this protected space. We create VPN tunnels, and it's really a handshake between two entities. So I'm on one side. I want to share information with you on another side. So we need to have a a security relationship where I can handshake with you and we can trade information. Versus I have a way of doing security where I can package every little piece of information in a secure way and send that out. And then if you need to see that information, you get the encryption key and we can do a much easier, quicker handshake that's really more standardized than setting up these sort of um, fixed infrastructures and having to do that with everybody. And so in many ways, this blockchain way of doing things fits this interoperable model in, in a much better way, which is, oh, here's a way I can work with everybody and I don't have to go to the, all this pre-work of, of setting up infrastructure and traditional tokens. It's not about me and the other person. It's about me using a way that everybody has adopted to secure that information so that I'm not securing the information right up front with the in mind of, oh, here's the person. Do I have an agreement with them? Do I have my tunnel with them, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I package this information up regardless of who it send it to, and I can have it be out there and it's secure 
And it's just a matter of giving the other person on the other side a code that's specific to that piece of information. Much, much more elegant, easy way to do things and, and easier to adopt with lots less infrastructure involved. Yeah, which is how Bitcoin works. Like that's how <laughs> this whole thing started, which is really interesting. Yeah. All right. All right. There, there's, there's a lot of irony dripping from that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So back to our regularly scheduled program. Yes. <laughs> what do you providers think of all this? You know, I know that the providers who you're connected with and that the pharmacists are getting the information from are obviously they've signed up and enrolled in and agreed to be a part of the medical home that you've got going on down there. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's there. They are fully opted in. How do they feel about pharmacists advancing these care plans, especially when they're not necessarily like, you know, if, if a physician writes in the instructions for use, pharmacist, I need your help. They are in control of the situation and telling the pharmacist to go do something. If they're simply mm -hmm. writing a note in their EHR system and the pharmacist is picking up the ball and running with it at their own behest, you know, like on mm -hmm. their own without the provider necessarily giving that instruction, is there some pushback or how does that work from a provider's standpoint? How does a provider feel about that? Honestly, I can tell you it is almost all about relationships. I, th I think the two key aspects of why this is working is one, we when we started doing this, we asked the, the physician providers themselves and the care managers, who are the pharmacies in your area that you have a working relationship where you could contemplate co-managing with them. And your relationship with them is not fighting over pre-authorizations. Your relationship with them is not about messy handwriting. Your relationship with them is not about yelling at each other about therapeutic duplications out of context, but you actually have a meaningful relationship. I have a great deal of respect for Atul Gawande and his writings and teachings. But I think where he got it a little bit wrong with the Cheesecake Factory is the space of relationships. So if I'm a surgeon, before I go into that operating room, I want to know everything I possibly can know to make sure that I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and E based on, on this radiology report or that radiology report. And I know exactly what I'm doing to do when I go in that room. That's something that you absolutely can industrial engineer. When it comes to taking care of patients in a primary care, family medicine, pediatrics, uh, you know, type of a model, the whole gig here is you're not doing something to a patient. You're doing something with a patient, which means when you walk in that room, you can't go into that room and say, I know exactly what needs to be done with this patient. And so you might land in a totally different spot after going back and forth and interacting with a patient. That's one of the reasons why particularly primary care gets frustrated with a lot of the EMRs as they are, because it's taking away from that relationship as they're going in and protocolizing. The whole point of this relationship-oriented care is that you're listening to the other person, and depending on how they answer and what they need and what their goals are, you may change what it is that you recommend or do. And so you need to have that relationship when you're talking about with patients. It's not just here, go, do. It's, yeah, I want to be able to work with somebody in context that says, yep, here's what happened to the patient. I know who I'm supposed to contact in that office and when, under what circumstances, when patient doesn't do X or they change their goals or they have this finding or a new med comes in. 
that is a much different type of a relationship than sort of a, an engineered type of a relationship. That would otherwise be nice and good because you definitely have primary care providers that are all about how do I take care of my patients. That's their ethos and they believe in it. You definitely have pharmacies out there that have that as well. But in the absence of a business model or some business motivation to do it, you're essentially just doing it. You know, you might have a patient here and there that, the, that you both get when you really help this patient out, but you're not doing it as a matter of best practice. Where it becomes best practice is when you start to get to change on payment reform on the medical side. So remember, we talked about in the last podcast, you know, pharmacy sort of stuck in this financing model that's existed for decades now where the entities that are financing them really have one job and one job only. How do you minimize drug costs? And if you have the opportunity to provide services that increase health, keep patients out of the hospital, that in many ways, the community pharmacy can influence ACO measures, can influence macro MIPS, alternative payment model types of constructs. Now you've got a reason to partner in a much different way than you had before, where your job was to fill the med fast, check accurately and cheaply. And that was your role. If I'm now over in the healthcare system, I've got that patient that I'm responsible for under macro MIPS and they see 13 different prescribers, fill 50 unique medications. They are 100 times more likely to have a preventable hospitalization. They live in northern Minnesota and they get their care in Phoenix or South Florida in the winter. You want to be able to reach beyond the four walls of your practice and, and, and get some help with this sort of patient watching and management of what's going on. And that's the really the key was these these relationships have existed. What we found was a lot of these relationships between the pharmacies and the and the physician providers, particularly in primary care, existed for many, many years. There was just never an impetus for them to make it part of their workflow or their best practices. And now that's coming with payment reform on the medical side. Got it. And this is one of the reasons why I asked that question. I was talking now, this is probably two years ago. So it could be somewhat dated, but I was talking with a pediatrician who was completely not a fan (laughs) of pharmacists providing care to her patients. And what she said was, and and she was narrowing this down to the the minute clinic, you know, the the in-pharmacy clinics, because apparently they were providing physicals for sports, you know, like the the forms you got to fill out if you're going to play a sport. And she was horrified by this because, you know, she had the relationship with her patients. She knew that this kid had a concussion four times and really shouldn't be playing football, for example. And then the kid would go to the minute clinic, get examined and then, you know, get the rubber stamp. Is that Mm -hmm. still very common or do you have that kind of blowback or within your organization because the providers have raised their hand and said, yeah, I want to partner with pharmacists. You know, you're kind of self-selecting physicians who don't feel that way. But you have to have pharmacies also that step up and say, yes, I want to help you medical provider meet your metrics. That's the big difference. So how is it that I can help you versus how is it that I can compete with you? That is the fundamental difference. I see. So in the Minute Clinic example, it was kind of a zero-sum game. Well, it's not to pick on Minute Clinic. It's the idea that the whole world wants access and convenient care. That's not necessarily a bad business model, right? The issue is the the role of that particular pediatrician, and I I grew up in a patient-centered medical home model, and, and I believe in it. The whole issue there is that there's a relationship with a patient that involves coordinating their care, that involves uh, in long-standing relationships and, and trying in context, 
that the primary care provider has. Anything that helps them with additional context, that helps them reinforce what's going on with the patient, that helps them coordinate all the medication use chaos that's going on is very helpful because it helps them practice better. It helps them meet their metrics better because that's what their goal is. And that's completely reasonable. Our proposition here is how can these enhanced service pharmacy providers that are willing to do this, willing to spend the extra time, willing to to have that relationship-oriented context to help these practices advance their ability to take care of their patients is a totally different proposition than another mechanism of receiving care where that context is not shared. And is your group small enough that pharmacists know the providers? You know, they're like bowling together? We often say that one of the, probably if you were to put together a really fancy econometric model with hundreds of thousands of variables to predict where this works and where it doesn't, the variable that would predict Success probably greater than anything else is that they could identify each other in a lineup. <laughs> and can they? I would yes. <laughs> I mean, what 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 you find is that even if they don't know their face and can't identify each other in a lineup, if you can pick up that phone and go, "Oh, I know who this is" on the other end of the line in their first two words, that's the difference. So the Cheesecake Factory New Yorker article that Tilda Lande wrote, I totally buy into from an industrial systems engineering perspective. Again. We should be able to do these sorts of things in lots of aspects of medicine that we're doing things to patients. But if you're taking a journey with a patient, it really is about relationships. And there's two key ingredients. It's the relationship between that care team member and the patient. But the one we miss more than anything else is the relationship between care team members. Are you fostering that? Absolutely. You cannot mass produce that. It's, it's the most critical aspect of this model. It's amazing. The most successful things we did was the simplest thing we did at the beginning of the project, we, and, and we ought to do it more, which is we simply put behavioral health providers and primary care providers or leads and care managers in a room with community pharmacies and said, let's talk about complex patients. Here's the things that they struggle with. And then they just get together and they innovate. They're going to figure it out if they're in a room together saying, oh, yeah, you know, oh, you can do this. Great. Well, we could do this. And what you're doing is allowing for that local area, those relationships to actually solve for real problems for patients. And it may be quite different in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where you're in the swamp and it's very rural, from urban Charlotte, North Carolina, and a lot of the FQHCs in Louisiana, from New York. Historically, pharmacy has been absolutely beholden to that that model of, of engineering for a very specific purpose, which is right patient, right bottle, right drug, right dose, to the patient as quick as possible and as convenient as possible. And that's great. There's a lot of patients that that is really all that they need. But 90% of my top 10% most expensive patients have severe and persistent mental illness. You cannot industrial engineer that encounter. They all have unique and different needs and goals and limitations and social determinants. That's where you're leveraging each other. It's not just that I've got a relationship with a patient. That has to be the case. And you have a relationship with a patient. That has to be the case. It's we better have a meaningful relationship with each other because this patient's going to change on their journey many, many times. And we have to be meaningful and efficient in our interactions with each other. So the care plan is not meant to be the mechanism of the relationship. It's meant to make that relationship efficient. Where can people go if they are interested in more information about what you have going on there in North Carolina, Troy? 
www.cpesn.com is our efforts to start to build these community pharmacy enhanced services networks that develop these local relationships and try to express their value as this point of capture and and ability to take care of their patients. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I always enjoy it. I listen to your podcast while I'm on the bike. They're my favorite all week long. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.